0: This episode was originally aired in June of 2021, but since today is the 4th of July, it seemed appropriate to share again. Chief Leary was our local police chief for 10 years until his recent retirement. In 2019, his wife Martha died from ALS. Chief had 46 years of police service and also served in the US Army. However, none of this training or experience prepared him for the grief after losing his wife. If you are enjoying today's podcast, please leave a rating and review. I'd really appreciate it. And now, Chief Leary's story. Today, for the first time, I don't have a daughter without a mom on the podcast. Today, I have with me Chief Jim Leary. Um, I have gotten to know Chief over the past 10 years. He's been the chief of police in our community, um, retired I guess earlier this year? That's correct. So my husband had has been on borough council for over 16 years and so had a close relationship with the chief um, and I knew the chief that way and then got to know um, the chief's wife through various events that we would have for the borough. I just have to say the chief and my husband are not your typical politician type people so The other people that would be at those events a lot of times Martha and I would not connect with real well so she was always my borough event buddy, we tended to gravitate towards each other at these events and the chief is going to tell us a little bit about his story of his wife Martha. But he's gonna start off with a little introduction um, about himself and some objectives of why we, we both thought it would be great for him to share today, and then we'll have a conversation. So I'm gonna turn it over to you, Chief.
1: Beth, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for that pleasant introduction. And also thank you for inviting me to perhaps help some others. Uh, a little bit about myself. A real long time ago, uh, I enlisted in the United States Army and I served a combat tour in Vietnam. And after that, I served 46 years of police service. And uh, there was quite some comfort- confrontation sites, quite some wonderful community-oriented policing, quite some opportunities to arrest the bad guys. I also spent 30 seasons, 30 separate seasons, coaching children. And most of the time, it was football, football-related, but also baseball and girls' softball. And I've spent over 36 years as a tutor and a mentor. And as a tutor and a mentor, I was focused on the police services. And you would think that after 30 seasons of contact sports, a year as a combat veteran, 46 years of police work, you would have thought that I would have be emotionally stable and emotionally hardened, perhaps even emotionally callous. And I thought I was until i lost my wife and then when i lost my wife i found out just how vulnerable i was i found out that a lot of my tough guy machismo presentation was more of a facade than a reality and that my soul had been really really touched and wrenched by the loss of my wife so that was that's that's where i kind of come from and part of my path and I'll elaborate on my path as we move forward, but I'm hoping that today, by sharing some of my experiences with having lost my bride and sharing some of the techniques I have used to get through the grief, I'm hoping that I can help someone else who might be grieving or might be looking to face some grief. And that's uh, pretty much where I am and what I hope to do.
0: And I'm sure you will, because as you and I spoke yesterday, I said, you know, I think, I think your perspective coming from a man of the background of what you've had, the things that you've seen and the police work that you've done over 46 years um that i think it's a good perspective for us to change uh, not to change to talk about and you're my first male interviewee on the podcast so i really am, am looking forward to that i know that you're here to talk about martha today but before we get into that have you experienced loss before her
1: yes i had and i have to say that the great great majority of the losses that i had faced previously previous to the loss of martha were what I refer to as cyclical losses. I lost both my parents. I lost my uh, Martha's mother and lost Martha's father. And I've lost several friends. And almost all of them had lived a rich, full life. Almost all of them were well into their later years. And all of them had batted nine innings. All of them had really, really lived it all. They had been blessed with good relationships with children, with grandchildren, and in many many respects, several incidents, they were blessed with great grandchildren. So the people that I had lost prior to Martha, I'm not knocking the loss. I'm just saying it was a cyclical loss. It was an easy loss to accept. And the grief was remarkably easy to experience. And the grief was short-lived. And the grief was replaced by happy memories. And in many cases, long, long, long happy memories. And those happy memories, they supplanted the grief very, very quickly. So, previous to losing Martha, I had not lost anyone that was out of the cycle.
0: Okay. okay. And so one of the things that I know that people struggle with that I struggled with most certainly, and I know you and I have sat in church in our park behind my house here before together. So I know that you do have a faith system, belief system. Can you share how um, losing Martha has affected that for you?
1: Oh, yes. Um, I can tell you that, first of all, I'm a practicing Christian and I have to practice because I'm not all that good at it. But <laughs> <laughs> I do church every Sunday, sometimes more than once. And I have an absolute sense of gratitude as to the crucifixion. Um, I have a um, wonderful sense of hope as to the resurrection. And I can tell you that generally my faith is unshaken. However, I can tell you that my feelings towards God have been significantly changed since Martha's loss. And I'm gonna be very candid I'm angry with God. I'm quite, quite angry with God. And every Sunday when I visit as part of my prayer service, I ask him, were you paying attention, right? Martha died and everybody dies. I'm, I'm quite reconciled to that. But unfortunately, Martha died a, a death that was uncomfortable and, and robbed her of her dignity. It took her last breath away and it took her last breath away in uncomfortable and very unpleasant circumstances. So, my faith is unshakable, but I would like that a question answered. Why not? Why did Martha die? Why did Martha die so bad? And I'm I'm hoping that someday that that question will be answered. But I still stand strong in my faith.
0: Right, right. And I think that that's I think that that's an understandable um, reaction. So, I think for us, it's time for us to learn about Martha.
1: Oh, well, Martha. <laughs> Martha was beautiful from the inside out. She was gorgeous from the outside in. She was a stunningly appealing woman at every level. She was a great mother. She was a great wife. She was a great friend. She was a great asset to her family. Um, she was an anchor and um, she was just the foundation of our family. And she was just an all-round great person, consistently optimistic, and consistently pleasant and she was consistently supportive of her family and most importantly important of me supportive of me as I worked through a rather trying career Mm -hmm. and um and she was she was really a, a remarkable remarkable woman and we had a wonderful relationship and I'm so proud to tell the world that we had a wonderful pleasant loving affectionate relationship Martha and I were intimate at every level. We were friends, we were lovers, we were helpmates, we were partners. And that's easy to say because that's what she had engraved on my watch, F-L-H-P. Well, in 2017, Martha noticed that she wasn't feeling well and uh, the feelings of illness progressed. And in October of 2017, she was diagnosed with ALS. Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, Lou disease. It's a remarkably um, debilitating disease. There is no cure, and unfortunately, it is always fatal. So, the moment we got the diagnosis, we knew that Martha was on borrowed time. So, we decided to keep that news from our family as long as we could, and we did for over a year. But then Martha's the debilitating effects of the disease became so apparent that we had to share and uh, share we did. And then that was in December of 2018. And Martha really, 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 uh, the disease took its effect on her. And Martha passed away on July 27th of 2019. So we're coming up on the two-year anniversary. As a matter of fact, today it's been 22 months. And um, Martha was uh, remarkably courageous uh, through the entire process. and uh, she died in faith and she died fortunately, she died quietly with no indications of pain. It was not that she, it was not as if she was struggling, gasping and, and fighting for that last breath. She very, very gently slid off into heaven. So that was a good one.
0: And she was home, right, Chief? Hmm? She was in your home.
1: Uh when she when she had her last episode, she was in fact in her home in our home. But um against her wishes and against my better judgment, I, I had her taken to the hospital just to see if there was one last opportunity for her to, to survive just a little bit longer. So she actually technically. Uh, her last episode was in our home and she technically passed away in grandview hospital just a few hours later and i i'm i am grateful that she died very very peacefully She but mm-hmm. you could hardly tell the last minute of her life from the first minute of her death and she slipped away
0: so then tell me how your world changed after that
1: well at first we were so, we, mostly me, but the entire family, we were so overwhelmingly busy that there really wasn't an opportunity to grieve. When you're the primary caregiver, and in this case, the husband of, of Martha, the, one, the woman who had passed away, it was my job to make all of the arrangements happen. Now, because we knew of her illness, we had done quite some preparation. We were prepared for her to die. And then it happens and you find out you're really not prepared for her to die. But immediately after her death, um, we were busy. The family was busy. We had more friends. We had more relatives. We had more family members, neighbors, colleagues, and well wishers than we could deal with. So our lives were extremely busy in the days immediately after Martha had passed. And then uh, we moved on. And just uh, about five days after Martha passed, we had the Martha was cremated by her as as were her wishes. And I'd like to share with you that I originally told the um, funeral director that I did not wish to be present for the cremation. And when the time of the cremation came, I was there to say goodbye. And I decided that I would be there for the cremation. And I have to tell you, it was one of the most telling decisions i ever made because i was there touching martha till literally the hair on my arms was singed and and i've always felt good about that it's a little macabre but i felt good that martha's body left this world with somebody that loved her immediately adjacent touching her i'm so glad that i did that it was a chance to spend that last few seconds with the woman that i loved mm. And then, after the cremation, immediately after the cremation, there's a certain finality to that. Immediately after cremation, um, then the grief uh, settled on me like a Uh, mantle—a cold, ominous, unpleasant, relentless, never-ending mantle of grief—and I was overcome with sadness. It was the sadness was overwhelming, and I would cry. I would, uh, I would just feel lethargic. I would, I would have lost my sense of purpose. I, nothing felt good. Food wasn't good. Um, the, the company of friends, as wonderful it was, did not have that wonderful effect on me. The generosity of friends and family, as wonderful as that was, did not lift my spirits. But I was just overwhelmingly sad. And there was also an overwhelming sense of loss. I I was coming to the realization, I was beginning to realize that Martha was no longer with me. Now I had had almost two years to prepare. I had almost two years to think about it. I knew that it was coming, yet when it got there, I found out how remarkably unprepared I was. I was still, I was absolutely, the sense of loss was unbelievable. And there was also an overwhelming sense of loneliness and it had nothing to do with other people my colleagues my co-workers my friends my family everybody rallied around us we rallied around each other and that had absolutely no impact on my loneliness because it didn't matter who was standing beside me it didn't matter that it was my child or my grandchild it didn't matter that i was holding my new newborn grandbaby None of that mattered. I wasn't holding Martha. And it was that combined sadness and loss and loneliness. that was just, uh, the word that I come with is overwhelming. I was just overwhelmed by it. And there was also a another issue. And, and Beth, I hadn't discussed this with you before, so I'm kind of ambushing you. Sure. But there was also an overwhelming sense of guilt. Every mistake that I made, every... Every issue that I didn't address or issue that I didn't address well, uh, I was reminded of it. I lived it. And I have one bit of an anecdote that, that really, really shows how that guilt affected me. About three weeks after Martha passed, um, I was to attend a reunion of my childhood friends. There would be about 10 of us that would get together. Now, this reunion was not spontaneous. We, we try to do it every year. And these are people that I've known for over 50 years. Some of them I've known for over 60 years and they are dear friends. And the, 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 um, the reunion was to take place three weeks after Martha passed and it had long been planned. And I intended to attend. And it was local. It was only five miles away. So the reunion was to to take place on Friday evening. And on Friday evening, uh, on thir- Wednesday evening, I began to feel good. I began to be, feel really good. I was looking forward to seeing my friends. On Thursday, I felt wonderful. I was looking forward to seeing my friends. Friday, I couldn't wait for. I was like a kid on Christmas Eve. I couldn't wait for six o'clock to get there. And when I met with my friends, of course, they had all been at Martha's service, so they knew what was what had happened. Um, And they handled it remarkably well. We acknowledged Martha's loss and we got on with the party. And we partied for about four hours. And I'm going to tell you, I had a fantastic time. It was a great time. We laughed and we told these terrible lies about each other. And we had a great meal and we had great fun. And on Friday night, I went home and I felt great. And then Saturday, I felt great again. And then Sunday, I got up, I went to church, I came home from church, I sat down and I cried uncontrollably for three hours. And the reason I was crying was the sense of grief, the sense of loss, the sense of loneliness, but more so an overwhelming sense of guilt that I had had the nerve to go out and have a good time three weeks after my wife had passed. And I couldn't stop crying. You're talking, tears rolling down the cheeks, shoulders up and down you're talking sobbing you're talking i'm a strong guy uh you're talking a big sturdy strong guy sobbing like a puppy and i three hours i cried, and that was the guilt and by the way i have come to realize that that guilt was part of the grieving process but it was unfounded in reality if martha had been there if martha had even been alive she'd have said why are you home? Go to the reunion. Right. So the guilt was badly based. The, the guilt, guilt was not founded in reality. But let me tell you, it was real in my soul. And I wanted to share that with your listeners, because you're feeling guilty about there's a possibility that your listeners will feel guilty about issues that bear no guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's, so that's what I dealt with in the grief was sadness the loneliness and on many occasions guilt mm-hmm. i felt guilt about the sins that i had committed and trust me they were little ones mm-hmm. I felt good guilty about the pleasure that i had experienced mm-hmm. and i still feel guilty if i go somewhere and martha's not with me mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Well, um, I, I know the bereavement counselor that I spoke to after my sister passed um, said that be, I think a lot in our culture, we're not taught that you actually can feel two emotions at the same time, that you can mm-hmm. be sad and happy at the same time. And so I think sometimes the guilt circumvents that self-sabotage that we inflict on ourselves, like you said, about mm-hmm. how can I how can I be you know happy or experiencing joy when I just lost my wife? Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for sharing about that. So when you and I spoke about doing this, you said one of your, you know, your objectives was that you wanted to share some of your thoughts about mental wellness and how the grief affected you. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, as, as a result of my career, I've had a lot of training and I've had a lot of refresher training and I've had a lot of innovative training as it would deal with mental illness, especially with people in crisis. And um, I have confidence in our mental illness, mental wellness processes. After I lost Martha and Martha's gone, I actually questioned my own sanity. I actually thought that I had become mentally ill. I actually worried that I was suffering severe mental illness. And I would do, I would take action that just didn't make any sense like I would come in the back door and I would walk through the whole house looking for Martha. And then when I realized that I'm not going to find her, I would feel embarrassed. I would feel stupid. I would, I had the sense of loss and the sense of loneliness were exacerbated. And I felt like maybe I had lost a piece of reality. And I really, really worried about that. And then sometimes I would find myself calling out to Martha. And I don't mean calling out in desperation. It's just like, hey, Martha, grab the phone. Hey, Martha, you wanna go out and get some ice cream? Just a normal function of day-to-day life, I would find myself calling out to her. And of course, she never answered. And again, I thought, how can you not know You were there the moment that she passed away. You held her hand when she was cremated. How can you not know that she is not here? And I diagnosed that, inappropriately diagnosed that as mental illness. All that is is grief. It's absolutely grief. And I also found myself speaking about Martha in present and future tense. Like I would say, oh, Martha and I will go there. Or Martha and I will do this. Or Martha is, well, Martha was, and I would think of her in terms. And another anecdote, uh, I, we, a friend from church, her name was Joan, we hadn't seen her in over a year because she became elderly, frail, and she was in Soderton Mennonite Home. Well, I went over to Soderton Mennonite Home, and I saw Joan in the common area. And my very first thought when I saw Joan, my absolute first thought was, Oh, I can't wait to tell Martha I saw Joan. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a real thought. It wasn't a contrived thought. It wasn't, it was, it was genuine in my soul. The first thing that I th- thought when I saw Joan was, oh, I can't wait to tell Martha. Mm-hmm. And then it was like it was as if someone struck me. My shoulders slumped, my posture weakened. I I, I had to take a deep breath. I wasn't having an anxiety attack. I was just having a grief attack. And my eyes filled with tears. And I'm thinking, you're crazy, Jim. You're absolutely crazy. By then, Martha had been gone for six months. Mm -hmm. And for me to be sitting there in public six months later, seeking out Martha to introduce her to a long lost friend didn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. And And I interpreted that to mean I was mentally ill. I also had nightmares, not horrible nightmares, not like monster nightmares, but just nightmares about the loss. And worse than the nightmares, I had hopeful dreams. I dreamt that Martha and I were going to go on vacation. I meant that I dreamt that Martha and I were going to have breakfast together. I dreamt that Martha and I were going to go to our our, um, granddaughter's baptism. I dreamt these things. And I mean, literally dreamt them while I'm sleeping. And then when I would wake up, I, I would feel, again, embarrassed. I would feel stupid. I would feel incompetent. And I would worry about my mental health. And uh, fortunately, I was able to deal with all that. And quite candidly, I still have all the vision, but now they're not nearly as intense.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate you naming that—that um, that grief can make you feel like you're losing your mind. I mean, I think I think that people, you know, are isolated and and lonely and and in their own world after a loss like that, and you can literally feel like you're losing your mind. Um, so I think I was so appreciative that you were um, willing to talk about this. Um, but you talked earlier about your your losses so far in your life had been cyclical losses that you were, you know, that you obviously didn't like, but that weren't out of the ordinary as Martha's was. So how has your grief journey with losing Martha been different?
1: Well, it was grossly different. Absolutely, incredibly different. Um, again, using the word cyclical, I... Those day, those previous deaths, we just worked through the cycle, and again, it was easy to do that. And but with Martha, it was a catastrophic loss. Martha was very young. Martha had been robust, a robust woman, and Martha did not play all nine innings. So I was at that loss. So I had my family, and they were remarkable. I had my friends and my colleagues, uh, my co-workers in Soderton were all wonderful. Um, I have many organizations to which I belong. And I I reached out. Actually, people reached out to me and suggested that I try a program called Grief Share. Now, Grief Share is faith-based. It's Christian, faith-based. It has quite some scriptural reference. And it is um, uh, what I would call faith-based and sound. It's a good method. So I enrolled in the um, Grief Share program which is a 12 week program, a meeting with people who are like-minded and have suffered like losses. And in the presence of trained counselors who work you through your own personal grief, the grief that's affecting the group, and and it offers you some techniques uh, that I could use to um, defeat the grief or at least work my way through it. And then I also went uh, like one-on-one faith-based grief counseling with some um, uh, clergy people that I trust and that are well educated and well well um, well well experienced in managing the grief of their congregants, and I worked my way through that. And um, also, I also was so worried about my dreaming. I was so worried about speaking of Martha in the present tense. I was so worried about. The sense of loneliness, the sense of sadness, the sense of loss—that I actually sought out psychiatric help. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to be very careful to tell you that I—I I wasn't a danger to myself or others. I was lonely and I was sad. I was not angry, and I wasn't manifesting uh, any any inappropriate actions. Um, I choose not to drink. I don't smoke. Right. Um, I don't have a wife, so there was very few outlets for me to uh, to. Uh, to deal with my grief. And I chose to go to a psychiatrist. And I I can't tell you which one worked. I will only tell you that all three together, um, I've made some lucky choices. I had some wonderful friends and family. And by going through the grief share program, by going through the faith-based one-on-one interaction, and by dealing with a um, psychiatrist, I found out, and this is really important, This is one of the most important messages I want to give you. I found out that everything I experienced was well within normal. Everything that I had felt, the calling out to Martha, the speaking of her in present tense, looking to introduce her to our friends, missing her at a party, feeling guilty about going to the party. I found out that every single one of them is an extremely common effect of grief. Mm-hmm. I wasn't losing my mind. I was in no way untruthful, untrue to my wife. I was just experiencing grief. Mm-hmm. Now I'm still experiencing that grief, but now I know what it is mm-hmm. And just knowing what it is, I, if I can put a face on the challenge, I can better rise to the challenge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to tell you grief share, one-on-one faith-based counseling and psychiatric counseling, Uh, they, they they were remarkably helpful to me. And more than anything else, they defined grief for me and they defined grief as normal for me. And that was a big help.
0: Yeah. And the thing that I think that's so important to say here too is that you mentioned that you had family, you had your community, you're involved in lots of civic organizations. Like if anybody that listens to this has ever passed through Souterton Borough, you've probably met Chief Leary because that's the kind of guy that he is. He doesn't need to drink or smoke because he's got a personality that walks into the room with him when he comes into the room. So like, I want people to hear that, that you had all of that support, you know, already. Like you, you said yourself, you had all of that support but still needed additional support because I know through the pandemic, And the way that the world has bounced for the last 16 months, some people are so lonely and isolated. And I think that they think it's because that they don't have support. And I want to make sure that people know that that's not, you know, that's not the whole picture because you had that support and you still needed professional faith-based group support help to help you be able to define what your normalcy in grief was. So I want people to know you know that you don't even having the family and the community support system is great, but there's just something that that those um, parts of your life can't provide that you may need from professional people who are you know trained to deal with this. And in addition, the fact that you were in the police force for 46 years, like you said, you've had training upon training and refreshers and updates on a lot of this information to start, but it's not until you experience yourself on a personal level that grief being that greedy little monster that it is, rears its head in a different form. So that's why I was so thrilled to have you here just because of all the elements of it. I think it's just really important for people to be able to understand that.
1: I'm gonna quote you, grief being the greedy little monster that it is. Oh, that was very well said because it is greedy, it is a monster, and it's small enough to get into your soul and large enough to manage your life. So I'm I'm going to use that. Greedy little monster that it is. Thank you. Yeah. I will. I will you can copyright it. I will give you. I will certainly say I got that from Beth.
0: Well, I actually got it from a different person that was on the podcast. I believe it was Jolena. So we're going to give Jolena credit okay, where we're credit gonna, is too. Jolena
1: say, say that her, her words have been stolen.
0: Yeah. And that's, what's a great thing about this, about this podcast. Um, so from your, your, the faith-based counseling, the program that you did and the one-on-one faith counseling that you did, and the psychiatric help, tell us some of the coping mechanisms that you've learned through the process.
1: um, Great question, because I absolutely did learn some techniques that allowed me to cope with the grief to manage the grief. And I'm giving you these in no particular order. But they all work in different ways, and I'd say the absolute first one is, um, and this I hadn't meant is, is uh, I mentioned it as number two, but the company of others, your family, your friends, your loved ones, your colleagues, your you know the people that have been supporting you, the kids from my football team, the guy from the police chief's organization, members of council, you know the it was. All of those people cared, all of those people do care, and all of those people will help. So I would say, seek out good company, right? And seek out the company of those that would, would, if they said they want to support you, believe them, they do. And probably one of the most important techniques, especially early in the grief process or handling the grief process, is stop. And I mean, stop. Whatever you're doing, stop doing it. Take a deep breath, sit down, have a conversation with yourself, give it some consideration. What you're doing, is that what you want to do? Is that what you really want to happen? Stop, rethink it, reconsider it, whatever it is, and think, is this really the path that I'm choosing? Because when you're clouded by grief, you start making all kinds of decisions that could impact you later that aren't good, that aren't good now, and they're not good later. Just stop and think about it. And you bounce them off your family, your friends, bounce them off the people that they care about you. And I found a remarkable technique, and I took this right out of grief share, is write a letter, write a note. There was a couple times when I was thinking, I'm going to do this. And then I just got out a piece of blank paper, wrote it down. I'm going to do this And here are some of the steps that I need to take to do this. And then I just let it sit for a couple of hours. I read it, balled it up, threw it in the trash and said, Jim, don't do that, (laughs) go in another direction. And I found that writing it down and then saying it out loud later um, helped me to make better decisions. And even if I didn't make better decisions, it slowed down my decision-making process to the point where at least I was making considered decisions. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely recommend that you make those on, on your your big three. Spend, uh, spend quality time with the people who love you, consider what you're doing, and sit, down, sit right down and write yourself a letter and see if it sounds good when you read it back. Mm-hmm. And then I also allowed myself time I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, my dad died and, you know, a week after the funeral, I went on a golf trip and I thought my mom died and and two weeks after the funeral, um, you know, we had a house party and I'm thinking about all these ways that guilt had been so brief, grief had been so brief in previous cyclical passings. Well, allow yourself some time and don't put a date on the calendar. Now, at the same time that I'm saying allow yourself some time and don't put a date on the calendar that's time to manage your grief but allow yourself specific time to get actions done you still have to eat you still have to put gas in the car you still have to show up to work you still have you still have to sit down in my case I had to write I shouldn't say had to I was privileged to write hundreds of thank you cards. Mm. And I wanted to do that. You probably got water. Time.
0: I did. Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, uh, you know, allow yourself time to grieve, but put time limits on the tasks you must perform. Take a deep breath and do what you have to do. So time, I have two separate ways of dealing with time. One, unlimited time to grieve. Two, specific times to do what needs to be done so that life goes on. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things that I did, and I'm sure that this is, this is very common, is I would ask myself, what would Martha do? And that was an easy one, especially if it was, you know, like going to the party, the reunion party. What would Martha do? Martha would say, Jim, right, go, have a great time. And if she could go with us, she would be there having a great time. She would have been completely supportive. She would have been supportive in life and in health. Had she been in bad health, she would have been completely supportive. And in passing, the message is, Jim, get off your dead ass. Get off the couch. Get out there and have a good time with your buddies. You know, find the activities, and not necessarily new activities. Um, I play poker. Poker takes a lot of mental concentration. And I play poker with men who are my friends. These are great guys. But let me tell you, they'll take every penny I got. Poker. <laughs> it doesn't matter that Martha's funeral was last week. And it doesn't matter that every one of them attended that service. They'll take my money. <laughs> I sat down with the poker players. Again, they acknowledged Martha's loss. And then they looked me right in the eye and said, we're going to take your money. And then we sat down and it was game on. And it required a tremendous amount of concentration. And as you could expect, there was a tremendous amount of repartee at the table. But it was wonderful because for two or three hours while I'm playing quarters and halves, I I was having a great time with my friends. And it was a great, great stress release. Um, I did a lot of exercise. I went out and made sure that I got the appropriate amount of exercise and I play golf. Now, I'm not saying that poker takes away from golf. Uh, or grief takes away is taken away by poker or golf but what i am saying is that it's normal it's a normal function that i would normally have executed it was with it's always with my friends that's a plus and it requires a lot of physical skill and concentration so it was great i would exercise play poker right go golfing again i said to you that i go to church every sunday i do I spend a portion of the service in gratitude for the crucifixion and the hopes of resurrection and the portion of the service saying, God, what were you thinking? What were you thinking that Martha passed? But those are some of the techniques and I, and I just wanna go over them again, make sure I didn't miss any. Stop, consider what you're doing. Give some thought to the actions you're taking. Seek out the company of others, especially others that are supportive of you, your friends, your loved ones, your family. Write a letter. Sit down and write yourself, sit right down and write yourself a letter about what you want to do. Let that letter cool off and then read it out loud. See if that's what you really want to do. Allow yourself unlimited time to grieve, but allow yourself limited times, specific times to accomplish the tasks you need to accomplish in life. I would ask, what would my loved one want me to do? What is it that Martha would want me to do? What would she say about this? And then I would be. Engage myself, throw myself into the activities. In my case, the reading, the exercise, the golf, and the poker, spending time with friends, of course. And then, and that's that's what grief share taught me. And I'll tell you, it was a very, very valuable series of lessons. It sure
0: is. It sure is. Um, and so now, since you and I have been talking about you doing this process, and you're it's it's twenty two months, like you said um, earlier. So, as you've looked back on this process, like what are some kind of you know final thoughts that you would like to share with listeners? Or as you you know spent these last couple of days thinking about your sharing today, um, you know what are just some final thoughts that you'd like to share with us? I'll
1: tell you, it has gotten easier. It absolutely has gotten easier. However, uh, Martha is you know touching my soul, mostly in a positive way, but touching my soul in the way of a loss. Every single day, mm-hmm. um, it still it still touches me. Just a few weeks ago, I had a, a an interesting nightmare. Not particularly horrific, but I, when I woke up in the morning, I decided that my whole life had been a nightmare. And Martha was downstairs cooking breakfast. And it took me ten or fifteen or twenty seconds to realize, no, Jim, it's a different kind of nightmare, right? but so it's the grief is still touching me and and if it's touching you when you wake up in the morning it's touching mm-hmm. but i'm able to laugh a lot more often i'm a, i'm able to remember the, the the fun times with martha much much more often and I'm, rem, I'm able to to deal with the sadness and the loneliness and the grief much more effectively so life is taking taking a uh It has gotten easier, Beth. It has absolutely
0: gotten easier. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that one of the quotes that I like is that, um, that your grief turns from an open wound to a scar. Mm -hmm. But like you said, I don't believe that you ever get over it. I think it's a, a part of you, uh, for the rest of your life, but the fact that you're able to, you know, after time, like you said, it's not, it's just not quite as raw. As it was in the beginning.
1: Oh no, no,
0: yeah.
1: And I and, and I'd like to share with you my final thought. Although I'll answer any question is that I am most definitely not. I am not happy that Martha has been lost, but I have become generally happy with life, and most of the time I'm very happy and very optimistic about what my future is going to bring. I'm going to. I'm going grief. I will defeat grief. Grief will not defeat me. Mm
0: -hmm. And what's so important about that is because you dealt with your grief, you know, you, you went to counseling, you went to grief share, you um, sought out professional help. I think uh, unfortunately a lot of our society, you know, has all these expectations of timelines and you should be better by now. And, you know, everything happens for a reason and all these sort of things that, we don't really allow the space for people to truly name and experience and feel their grief. We try to stuff it down or numb, or, you know, you said you don't drink alcohol or do any of that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, I think that a lot of times we're not allowed that space and that grace to be able to um, allow yourself to feel the grief. And, And it's hard too. It is hard, but I think that's part of the process of being able to get to this point where you are saying, you know, I'm generally happy. I've mm-hmm. done the hard work and I'm generally happy. Some days are still bad. I still have nightmares sometimes, or wake up and feel realize that the nightmare is actually the truth. Um, but the fact that you've dealt with your grief, I think, is an important part of your journey too.
1: And if I can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. Because remember, I'm world class denial. You know, I'm a world-class tough guy. Nah, this isn't going to bother me. Well, now I'm world-class Mr. Vulnerability, but it comes to the loss of Mm that. But the people that you're working with, the people that that you're sharing this podcast with, I I would wish for every one of them that they find a reason to be happy.
0: I think that's great advice. I think that's great advice. Do you have anything else you want to share, Chief?
1: No, I want to thank you for inviting me. I hope you're... Find this useful, and I hope that, that just even one person says, picks one grain and says, It worked, I'm, I'm a happy guy.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And look, we both just loved Jolena's grief being a little monster, so that's exactly how it happened. That's yeah, hey,
1: that touched me. Yep, right, yeah, grief, so somebody, little monster. I will okay. remember that till I'm dead. Mm
0: -hmm. so it will it will this will be meaningful and will touch someone um and i certainly appreciate you being here and spending the time with me today my first my first man on the daughters Without mom's podcast (laughs) (laughs) thanks chief i appreciate it all
1: right thanks for having me beth
0: if you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey please visit my website www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.